so, um, you know, I should, I should probably do, I should, yeah, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but, um, but I'm taking lists, I'm making a list of options, and so that's definitely one of them. Well, I, uh, definitely appreciate your all's patience with some of the technical challenges this morning. I've had to to get everything going and I'm far from great at that. So we're, we are continuing our, our series on lessons from Jesus' questions and uh, let, let's pray just specifically for the message. Lord, we do thank you for uh, your word, we thank you for the clarity of it and the purpose of it to grow us, to teach us, to conform us and transform us into the image of Christ. And, and uh, Lord, help us to view this message through, uh, through that lens. Help us to understand if we are not saved, if anyone under the sound of my voice is not saved, uh, may the conviction of the Holy Spirit lead them uh, to, to a point where they can truly make that decision. Uh, Lord, we just ask your time on uh, your ask you to bless our time in your word in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so um, if you Shane, if you could advance, we are in this week in lesson in uh, Luke chapter eleven. It's on your uh, slide as well or your uh, handout. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish? Uh, if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if uh, he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye, then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now there's another parallel passage uh, of this exact same passage in it. It actually doesn't use the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, but give good gifts uh, to men. Uh, We're not going to really focus on that. We actually spent last week talking about the differences in the gospel accounts and how those are for a purpose. And um, so I didn't want to spend a lot today, a lot of time today doing the same thing or, or retracing that ground. But um, but just understand that that gifts, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today, gifts, not spiritual gifts, if you will, but, uh, but, but gifts that are in fact spiritual. And I know that sounds a little contradictory, but we're not talking about like the gifts of administration or gifts of healing or the gifts of speaking in tongues. That's not what we're, what we're talking about today. But we are talking about the concept of gifts, some of which are very physical in nature. And, you know, even the wise men at Jesus' birth or some point thereafter, they estimate that because he's referred to as a young child at that point and the timing that it would have taken for the wise men to have traveled uh, as far as they did, that he could have been up to maybe a couple years old, especially in light of the fact that Herod then, you know, kills the, the kids that are that, that, are that age. But, but gifts were, were present, right? Gifts were a component of and certainly what we kind of view as the nativity. So today we're going to look at, uh, Shane, if you could go ahead and, and uh, go to the next slide. We're going to look at the if-then statements as our lesson, and we're going to use uh, the use of basic logic and, and this godly gift giving. So if you go to our, our, our series study point number nine, uh, conditions. When the first part of an if-then statement is true, then the second part is true. 
we actually see that in this passage. If a son shall ask, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, or if he shall ask an egg, if ye then being evil, right? So this is this is really just an if then, if this, but then this. So we're going to talk about if then statements for just a moment. So when the first part is true, the second part is true. Even if the first part is a negative, like this never happens, or if, if this doesn't happen, then this will happen, right? Even if it's, a, if it's a negative connotation or an absent connotation, it means that if the condition of the first part is met, then the second part will happen or is true. But the logic only flows one way. So if the weather is nice, then I will play outside, okay? Does that mean I can only play outside if the weather is nice? No. It just says, if the weather is nice, then I've made the decision I'm going to go outside. They, the child could still decide, or whomever could still decide, I'll bundle up more, and I'll go out and play in the snow or whatever, right? They could choose to, but they're saying, if the weather is nice, or from your perspective, if the weather is nice, then the second half of it is going to come to fruition. I'm going to go outside and play. So, um, go ahead and advance there, Shane. We see... There's about 300 explicit if-then statements in Scripture. Ballpark. Okay? Look at Genesis chapter 13 and verse 9. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee. Abraham is talking. If thou will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. But, or, 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 if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. It's just a simple concept. If this, then that. Okay? But there's many more implied. I mean, I would literally have to have like read all of the Bible and recorded them. Like, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, more implied. Notice in Genesis chapter four and verse seven, a very strong one: "If thou doest well," I added the word "then." That's not actually recorded in Scripture. "Shalt thou not be accepted?" But that's an implied if-then statement. If you do well, then won't you be accepted? Do you see it? Okay. And if thou doest not well, then sin lieth at the door, right? So, again, it's an implied if-then statement. And the conditional logic is important. God is fine with conditions. He actually, uh, he actually uses conditions sometimes. In Genesis 18, it's probably the, maybe the most iconic example of this. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the... God knows how many righteous are in the city. But he is willing to place conditions on his own actions. Okay? Some people that I've had a had a person, you know, who kind of wanted to debate me. I think I maybe used this illustration before is, you know, because they want to they want to make God less than he is and so they will try to create a paradigm that makes God in inferior to who he is and they will say, "Can God create a rock he cannot move?" So either he's unable to create or if he can create a rock that big, then he is unable to move it. And my response is, he created a hell that he's unwilling to pull people out of, but he made a way of escape so people don't have to go there. Like, he is willing to put conditions on himself. So I can't, I can't answer the question, can God make a rock that he, is, that he is unable to move? But what I do know is God is willing 
if that's part of his plan to make a rock that he cannot move. That he cannot move. He is willing to place conditions on uh, his interactions with us, but he gets to he gets to make the rules because he's God. Now, Paul, with his law background, and he's not like a lawyer as we think of a lawyer, but he was in the law. He understood the law. He loved logical statements. So Paul was this really interesting mix of being uh, a, a Jew, right? He was, I mean, uh, you know, knew the law, elevated in, in training and studying the law, but he had also been exposed to so much of Roman thought, Roman schooling, etc., and that made him a really, really bright individual. He loved if-then statements because they're so clear. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Like, if, if you believe that the dead cannot be resurrected, Christ isn't resurrected, right? And he continues, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Right? And this, again, these are just examples. This is certainly not the only time Paul says this. And then he jumps down in verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. So he's using if-then statements and he uses the logic very masterfully to cause people to be confronted with the real issue. In this case, some people were saying, well, the dead do not rise. Well, if that's the case, I'm wasting my time. Because if the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then my preaching is in vain. He also does it in Galatians 2.21, I think masterfully. I, for I do, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Sam touched on this a little bit this morning. Um, if you have to do something to be saved, you literally just negated the whole plan of God, of him coming to the earth, him dying a sinless, uh, or living a sinless life and dying in our place, because what you're saying is whatever it was that you're doing is now equated or is the cherry on top. The reality is the cherry on top is part of the dessert. So if you are doing that, if you think you have to be baptized, if you think you have to do good works, if you think you have to do X, Y, or Z, whatever that is, you are literally frustrating. He doesn't want to, but you're frustrating the grace of God and you're saying righteousness comes by actions. And therefore, the you know, Christ is dead in vain. So in the next slide, so in Luke 11, back in our text, if we as sinners, so men that have flesh, if we can be good to our children, they ask of us a fish, and we don't give them a, what is it, I always get them mixed up, we don't give them a, uh, an egg, or a serpent, or if he asks for bread, I don't give him a stone, right? I mean, this is, if this is the bar of fatherhood, like, I have really exceeded. I am pretty good dad. If they said, hey, can I have an egg? And if all I had to do was not give them a scorpion, then I think we're good. So if I, as a sinner, can be good, then how can the one who created them not be good, right? How much more can our Heavenly Father do good, right? If we in our sinful state can do good, just think about how great God is. 
Now, there's a tone of necessity here in these three examples, right? With the bread, the um, I keep messing it up. The bread, the egg, or the fish and the egg, right? Those are all food. Those are all substance. I didn't take the time to study those out doctrinally or practically. I think there's probably some stuff there. But the reality is there's a tone of necessity here. There's a tone of what is the father willing to provide to sustain the child, okay? Even the basic concepts, but how much greater is our Heavenly Father? And we're going to explore that a little bit, okay? So the first is we need to understand that gifts from men may have an agenda. Gifts from men may have an agenda. People are drawn to gift givers because they can use gifts to manipulate. Go ahead and advance to the next slide, Shane. The people are drawn to gift givers. This is why people have uh, what's a, what is, an entourage. Uh, you know, celebrities have entourages or sports figures have entourages. Is because they are kind of getting some benefit out of the other person's hard work, right? They are drawn to the gift giver. Notice in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 23, thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and follow after rewards. This is part of what Jesus was dealing with, with people who were only following him because he could multiply food and take care of their physical needs. Because there's a lot of people that are only in the relationship with Christ as much as what they can get out of it. And by that I mean even kind of physically. Like if God's not going to, if Christ isn't going to take care of my problems, whether they're health or financial or whatever, well, then I'm out. Because that's the way they, they kind of view God as a sugar daddy. Notice, they judge not the fatherless, neither, do, uh, neither doth, the co- uh, doth cause the widow to come unto them. They're not ministers. They don't focus on the needs of others. They're worried about what they can get out of the situation. So be careful because people are drawn to gift givers. If you find yourself tagging along with someone who can just meet your needs, be careful with that. That's, a, that's, a, that's an unhealthy relationship situation. I think there's a good number of folks who have come to Midtown and in some, I, I guess I'll put them under the category of either transient, homeless, searching in some cases, looking to see what they can get. And when they realize there's not a whole lot more than a half a donut or maybe a whole donut and a cup of coffee, they kind of move on. Because they're not really after spiritual food. They're just after a warm place, some coffee, and some donut. And look, I mean, that, that's very... That's, it's a great use. It's a great stewarding of the resources of this place to minister to people like that. That's fine. We can earn the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But if that's all they're after, then I'm not sure we can help them very much. And then the second is don't tip the Lord. So gifts can be manip- manipulative. In some cases, people are trying to convince themselves that th- this is good. Notice in Ezekiel 20, As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Go ye, serve ye every one his idols. And hereafter also, just, just go do it. If you will not hearken unto me. If you're not going to listen to me, go ahead. Right? I'm going to tell you, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. 
uh, okay, you're crying, it's hot, you, you, now, you now know. I mean, and maybe in that case, because I'm not necessarily dad of the year, although I didn't ever give my kid a serpent for an egg, sometimes dads are in this case where they're willing to let their kid get hurt more. Like the mom would be like, no, and I, not in a bad way, they're, they're very much more protective. The dad's kind of like, well, told you, told you. God's kind of like that here. He's like, look, if you're, if you're going to serve other idols, do it. I, like, if you're not going to hearken unto me, I can't help you. But pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Like, don't come to me with a tip. Don't, if, like, like God doesn't need your five, ten, twenty dollar bill or whatever thrown in the, in the offering, like, if he doesn't have your life. I'm, I'm just being blunt. Like, that's not, don't go thinking, well, I gave God something, therefore he can give me something. That's not the way it works. It's just not the way it works. Even in Luke 21, and he looked up, and right, and, and this is the, the pointing out to the disciples about the rich man versus the widow um, casting in the mites, right? And, the, and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he, also, he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than, than they all, for all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living she had. She had. So, but, but look at the definition and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. I don't think that's a mistake. They, they, were, they were like giving God a tip, uh, so to speak. I don't know how else to put it into more modern vernacular. They were giving God a little. And she was giving God a lot. Like, I think these two verses, and there's a few others, just be careful. Like, don't come to God and give him your leftovers. Don't come to God and give him just enough so that you think he is now obliged to give you something. That's not how it works. And then the next. Now, I wrote this, and I, I, I struggled with words a little bit, but gifts are received, not bought. Now, it's Christmas season. Chances are you went out and bought some gifts, right? That's not what I mean. Like when we go, when we have Christmas at our place and somebody gives me a gift, so like my dad will give me a gift, I can't buy that from him. Like there's no way, like maybe this has happened in your, in your family, but if, if, if my dad comes and he gives me a gift and I pull out, a, pull out the money that I think is the equivalent of that gift, dad, let me pay for that. Well, that's not going to work. Then it's not a gift. It's a transaction. Right? I just bought something from him. I, he, he, that, that buying, that financial transaction negates a gift. Now, gifts all cost something right, for the gift giver. But when we, when we buy gifts, like I, I bought Michelle a gift. When was the last time I bought you a gift? It's been years, I feel like. No? No, no. I don't know. It was I don't even remember the last gift I gave you. Um, okay, this is an embarrassing, embarrassing moment for me. I feel like they were earrings. Were they earrings? Let's run with the earrings, okay? When I bought those, yes, I possessed them for a period of time, but they were never for me. Surprise, surprise, because I don't wear earrings. Right, amen. I mean, I, like if I was a pirate, I feel like I could pull it off, you know? But 
Huh? Yeah, or Mr. Clean. He doesn't have earrings, though. But I, while I possess them, I made the financial transaction with the guy on the street. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I made the financial transaction, and I owned them. They cost me something, but they were never mine. I bought them with the intent to give them. They were always hers. It was just a matter of, but, but after the transaction, getting them into her hands based on the, the Mother's Day or whatever it was, right? The, the, the gift-giving event. So gifts are, not re- are, are received. They are not bought. You cannot buy a gift. You, by definition, negate the, 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 the interaction. Notice in Acts 8.20, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You can't buy the gift of God. That's called a wage or an earning. And in Scripture, wages and earned are associated with death. Now, gifts can also celebrate the wrong things. Notice in Revelation 11, verse 10, uh, that they, uh, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, the dead witnesses, and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them by telling them the truth, by prophesying them that dwelled on the earth. Like literally in the context of the end time events, people are giving you get. There's a new holiday and it's the death of the two witnesses day. I don't even know what they're going to call it, but they give you get each other gifts honoring something else that's really weird. Like they're celebrating, they're giving gifts. Uh, so this brings us um, to our second lesson. Honest gifts are inherently good. And I put honest here because you can have gifts that are manipulative, gifts that are for a purpose, right? Like literally, when we go to a restaurant and we get done and we sign the little the card or we give, leave a little money for a tip, that's not a gift. That's something they've, they've earned, right? A gift would be like walking up to somebody who's not expecting it and giving it to them. That potentially could have an agenda or it could be really honest. And it's hard based on the transaction or the interaction, probably is a better term, between the interaction if it's an honest gift. gift. We've seen that already that men can use gifts to manipulate the situation. We're really good. I mean, I've had some fe- people in my family that were like, like gift givers for a reason. Like they give you something, but they're trying to, there's an agenda behind it. But honest gifts are inherently good. Honest gifts. So some gifts, good gifts are precious. Notice in Proverbs 17:8, a gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. It's a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. Whithersoever it turneth, uh, turneth it prospereth. Literally, it's going to bring, it's going to continue to bring joy. Like it prospers. It doesn't necessarily mean that it continues to earn interest and make money and it prospers. That's not the point. It brings back joy. And I suspect we all have those kinds of things in our life. Something someone gave us. Uh, it could be, I mean, we've got on our, on our desk where, you know, where we do the bills and stuff. We've got it in the little office area in our, uh, uh, in our house. We've got a, um, I think it's like an orange juice can that's wrapped in foil or something. I don't, it's got yarn around it and it's felty and it's got things that were glued on it. Maybe it's got a Bible verse made by a, what, three-year-old boy, something like that, five-year-old boy. 
you know, because he put his energy into this thing and it's prospering joy. Continues to prosper joy because it's precious, right? It's precious. I mean, it's literally worth nothing. Couldn't sell it in a garage sale for a nickel. It literally is worth nothing, but it continues to prosper because of the heart behind it, right? Get good gifts should flow from the heart. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer, offer thy gift. Like, literally, God doesn't want your, your sacrifice or your gift at the altar if you've got something, a problem with your brother. Like, literally, the heart attitude should, like, we, can, we are struggling to give God a gift, to give God adoration if we have trouble with our, with our brothers or sisters in Christ, right? The next... Good gifts can actually reconcile. In Proverbs 21, a gift in secret pacifieth anger and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. It pacifies anger and it pacifies strong wrath. This is a form of parallelism in scripture. So the reward in the bosom doesn't create strong wrath. It pacifies uh, anger, right? So but look, look at for just a moment. A gift in secret and a reward in the bosom. Now, there are times when it is appropriate to interact with someone privately and give them a gift of reconciliation. To give them, to give them some, some token of your appreciation or of your regret or of your uh, hurt. Whatever the situation is, there are times when you may want to or need to try to reconcile a relationship through a gift. My suggestion is that that doesn't look like a dollar bill, right? It doesn't have a president or anything on that gift. Like, like I've really upset Jamie, and Jamie and I have somewhat against each other. Jamie's already talked to, to Pastor Sam about my ordination and said, no, no, until we get this, we get this dealt with. So I pulled Jamie aside and I said, Jamie, I, I'm really sorry. Here's a $50 bill. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's not going to help. I don't think. I mean, Jamie says uh, a little bit. It might help. <laughs> but, <laughs> but probably not. If he really has something against me now, what I might do is if I have wronged him in some way, if I backed my car into his and I didn't uh, admit it and he knew it or something, maybe a gift is, is monetary, right? Because now I'm reconciling the relationship because of a wrong that I've done. Or maybe I'm giving him something of, of relative inconsequential value to show him uh, my appreciation for the, the relationship that we had before this situation, right? So maybe, um, you know, maybe we liked golfing together and then we weren't able to do that because of our relationship and I get him a gift card to go golfing with me, right? So that we can reestablish the relationship. Or maybe it's, hey, I got a couple tickets to the Spider-Man movie. Let's go. I don't know if you even like Spider-Man, but I mean, it'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then hopefully that wouldn't make him even more mad, right? And I'm just, I don't like Spider-Man. 
But, but good gifts can reconcile. Now, there's a spiritual angle here, and you should see it coming. I'm telegraphing it all day long, right? Good gifts don't have an agenda. They are precious. They flow from the heart. They, are, they can reconcile. And good gifts are representative of God the Father. Notice in James chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything that God has ever done for you is good. Even, even if you don't think it is, it is for your good. So in this context where he's like, even you, even you as a basic individual know how to give your kids food when they ask and you don't mess that up. How much more is your heavenly father who heavenly father who loves you as a child loves you as a child excuse me as a child going to take care of you. So let's let's look in our last lesson the gifts of God. And go ahead. Gifts from God are only good for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance meaning they don't need to change. They weren't a mistake. These things came from God with purpose. He doesn't mess up, right? We also see that pleasure is a gift from God. And, 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 and look, I don't want this to, to turn weird in any way, but just notice in Ecclesiastes th uh, 3, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. Like, if you've worked hard and you earned your paycheck... And your paycheck has bought a really cozy, lazy boy chair, and you want to fall asleep watching the Chiefs game last week, because they're not on today, on Thursday night, enjoy it. It's okay. Now, there's a point at which you become a sluggard. There's a point at which you love sleep more than ministry or more than pr production. But it's okay to take a step back from your hard labor and enjoy it. That pleasure is from the Lord. He is, he literally, he takes pleasure in certain things that we do in our interactions, the way we, uh, the way we deal with him when we do it properly. He literally is the inventor of pleasure and he gives us pleasure. Like I've started really appreciating this, this may, this may sound really odd. I've really started appreciating that taste, taste of good food is from the Lord. Like I know we have taste, like probably because we know we don't want to eat that thing because it's nasty and we want to eat this thing because it's good, right? But I have come, I mean, I lost my taste for a little bit in COVID. Michelle, still a year and a month later after having COVID, still doesn't have her taste back. But when you, if any of you have lost your taste during COVID, hey, COVID lost your taste. Or even just like with a really bad head cold and you lose your taste. Like there's something missing. That pleasure of what the food tastes like is something God created. The, the, the pleasure that we can take in a job well done, all of those things, are a literal gift from God. And ultimately, again, you know, uh, what is the, uh, when they, uh, oh, when you tell the story before it, it's over, like on the synopsis on, on a movie. A plot, when you tell the plot. Oh my gosh. Spoiler alert. Thank you. Spoiler alert. All these things, gifts from our, God are only good, pleasure, the fact that we'll spend eternity, 
they're all manifest in the person of Christ. They're all manifest in the person of Christ. Spoiler alert, right? So next, grace is a gift from God. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift in, in, um, because we can't really even wrap our brain around it. Ephesians 4, 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Grace is a gift and thus salvation and righteousness are gifts from God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that of not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works because that's what you earn. It's a gift that you receive. Romans 5, For if by one's man, uh, one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So literally, grace is a gift from God and it brings along with it salvation and righteousness. Like, nobody is better at giving gifts. I looked up some gift etiquette. I looked up some gift etiquette, and it's really interesting because, you know, all these, uh, I don't know why, I, I, and this is not a dig, they're almost all women that, give, that, that have articles, blogs about gift-giving etiquette. I don't know why they must have special insight into, great, into gift-giving. Every one of them had a list of, and, and most gift-giving etiquette made sense, Right. Don't, you know, don't buy something based on what you think, based on what they want, right? So you shouldn't give a gift that has, you know, you shouldn't impose your will or thoughts on someone else. Get them something they will use, right? Um, you know, that's like Homer Simpson buying Marge a bowling ball that has Homer engraved on the bowling ball. Well, that's not really a gift for Marge. That's a gift for Homer, right? Nobody, you with me? Okay. Yeah, all right. Sorry if that came out of left field. But you should give gifts based on what... And, and as I was going through each of the gift etiquettes, it was really interesting because God, and hear me out, violated every one. He violated every one. Because the gifts he gives are more about what we need than what we want. He gives us things outside of our perspective he gives us what is absolute the best for us, not necessarily what we think we want, right? And, and he's really, really good at it. If you go to the next slide, Shane, I think it's one of the last ones. Jesus himself is a gift from God. Jesus answered uh, the woman at the well and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it was that saith to thee, Give me drink, thou would have asked of him and he would have given given thee living water. Like, I'm literally the gift of God, he's saying. And, and not, I mean, literally, he's the only one that can say that, right? Some, some, you know, suave man may say, honey, I'm a gift from God, but only Jesus can actually say it. The Holy Ghost is a gift from God. We saw it in our passage in Luke 11 about if you give food to your kids, how much more is the Father willing to give the Holy Ghost? But in, even in Acts uh, 2.38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The, gift, the Holy Ghost is a gift. Now, don't get too, too hung up on that verbiage. That's early in the book of Acts. Transition happens. We'll deal with that another day. We don't get saved today by repenting and baptizing in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. That, did not, that does not work for the church age. But notice you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
And then the last, but certainly not least, gifts of God flow to and through Jesus to man. And this is really, really interesting. In Ephesians chapter 4, Psalms 68 is referenced. Okay? In Ephesians 4, Psalm 68 is referenced. This is another one of those situations where there's a little bit different wording. And some people try to use this as a contradiction in Scripture. And try, but it's not. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. And then in Ephesians, it says, Wherefore he saith, when he hath ascended up on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Are those contradictory? Absolutely not. He received gifts from God so that he could give gifts unto men. Like, when I saw that, I even told Michelle, I was like, this is a little complicated. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to share this. I thought the best place to put this was at the end. Because you see that every good thing, everything that God does for us is a gift. I mean, literally, the fact that this whole time I have been talking. You're like, I know, I've been listening this whole time. I haven't once thought about taking a breath. Nor once have I thought about how I'm going to turn that breath into oxygen, uh, oxygenated blood for that oxygen to flow to all the different parts of my body, including my brain, to be able to put words together or my diaphragm to be able to push the words out or the vocal cords to be able to vibrate just the right way for you to understand. Or to be able to point the, all the muscles for me to do this or to focus and look. Like not once have I thought about those things. Those are all gifts from God. And we can't take that for granted. I know it's e super easy to do. I'm literally describing that I've been taking it for granted this whole day, right? But all of those are gifts from God. So in Acts 20 and verse 35, I think it's the last... Uh, well, or maybe I didn't know, so I didn't include it. I have showed you all things... How so, uh, or how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus and how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He literally gets blessed by giving us gifts. I didn't include that in your notes. So be cautious with gifts with, of gifts with strings. Be cautious when there's an agenda associated with gifts. Because God's gifts are ultimately good. They're always, always good. So, with that backdrop, with that backdrop, we have gifts for you all. These do not come with an agenda. They do not come with strings. They do come with love. They're, I think the, yeah, that, well, here, I'm just going to help. So, and for those of you who, uh, 